Hello. Thank you for joining us for another episode of This Week in AML. I'm John Byrne, Chair of the AMLRS Advisory Board. And I'm Elliot Berman, our Creative Director. We are excited to welcome you to the This Week in AML podcast, where we explore key news and developments in the global financial crime prevention community. Hey, Elliot. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, John? Well, we're both in Buffalo, New York, in one of uh, one of our offices for AML Right Source, looking over at Lake Erie, which is pretty pretty exciting to to see all the boats out there. So we, we we're here for an advisory board meeting. I think many of the folks, hopefully, listening to this, have heard from a number of our board members who have been part of webinars over the past couple of years. And part of our uh, strategy tomorrow is to plan future. Um, content programming for the next couple of years. So we're excited. And we haven't actually had an in-person board meeting since May of 2019 because of COVID. So uh, that's right. But we got a chance today. Um, there was a bunch of things that went on, went on during the week. Um, I did see that there was a speech given by the acting comptroller of the currency on cybersecurity issues. So I tell folks, take a look at that when you get a chance. Um, but there was a couple of pieces that we talked about regarding sanctions and um, two particular pieces. One was a, I guess, an op-ed piece in the Washington Post. And the second is the most recent, I say the most recent because these things probably come out every day, but uh, Treasury announcements on sanctions. Correct. So um, I know that you read the uh, the op-ed piece. It was written by Ingrid uh, Worth, I believe that's how she pronounces her last name. Among other things, she's editor-in-chief of the American Journal of international law. And she talks about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of comments about designating uh, specific oligarchs in Russia about being state sponsors of terrorism. And you, you see that a lot. You see a lot of both sides of the aisle saying that this is something that uh, the president should do or Treasury should do, what have you. She takes a different perspective. She says there's actually some negatives behind the designation. Do you recall some of some of her points there? I do, um, and it's a little bit of a technical explanation. But I think oftentimes, you know, the, the the technical stuff behind the idea is really where you need to go to understand whether the idea makes sense is a good one. So, um, uh, the author acknowledges that the statutes and uh, the rules are very technical, and you need to dig. But she points out that the, what would happen as being the state spot, designated a state sponsor of terrorism is it would uh, take away a, some of the um, immunity that foreign governments have from being sued by U.S. citizens uh, in, in U.S. courts. And what happens is then there would be opportunity from, for litigation. One point she makes is that the litigation, the approved litigants are very limited. They'd be U.S. persons or they would be uh, members of the U.S. Armed Forces uh, or other U.S. government employees. So that's a pretty narrow group. Secondly, um, that to the extent that any members of that group were successful in this litigation and could get damages, they would try to collect those damages from frozen Russian assets, which isn't a bad thing, except to the extent that the call for this is being done in the context of helping Ukraine, 
the Ukrainians would not, no Ukrainians would be able to access the courts through this change in the immunity. And the pot of uh, frozen Russian assets that might someday be accessible by the Ukrainians other ways would be diminished by any successful suits by U.S. persons. Um, and uh, so I think her point is in large measure that it's, um, uh, it's not exactly what everybody thinks it is when they say that they want to equate them with uh, uh, North Korea, for example, who's a, you know, another designated state sponsor of terrorism. Yeah, not that different from the debate about domestic terrorism, right? Because, um, and I've been, quote, guilty, unquote, of this as well, saying we have to start labeling things um, for statutory and other reasons. But some on the other side say if you do that, there's already current statutory tools that can be utilized. And so have we utilized those to the uh, to the degree that we should? And it's it's much more nuanced, kind of like what the um, what the professor has written about here, um, in terms of it not being that that simple of a solution. So, right. The other component of all of this that you mentioned is that um, there are existing tools that the U.S. and other countries have used against Russia, sanctions being uh, the best example, and there are. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about those sanctions since the war started. And uh, as you mentioned yesterday or the day before, um, the Treasury issued some more sanctions, again, aiming at some individuals who are uh, closely aligned with President Putin and also identifying some uh, organizations for further sanctions as a result of their efforts to evade uh, existing sanction programs that impact them. Right. And, and the press release um, um, around this actually specifically says sanctioning elites and companies, but pointing out that part of the reason is because they generate substantial revenue for Russia. So it's obviously, as we know, sanctions are a way of, of getting funding uh, away from from variety of criminals. Uh, but they make that point here. So they list a number of the quote, elites that are close to the Kremlin. Um, and that's listed there as five or six of those. And then um, there's um, a section on sanctions evasion attempts. And if uh, hopefully some of you have already listened, we did a, uh, a, a podcast uh, last week with Kit Conklin, who talked about export control evasion and, and the reason why FinCEN and um, the Department of Commerce issued a joint alert. So this is sort of consistent with uh, what the Treasury and other agencies are focused on, including FinCEN. And that's, you know, you, you issue these sanctions, but then when there's attempts to evade those sanctions, there's additional penalties for that as well. Correct. Uh, I, I think the summary of all of this, um, or these last two items that we talked about, is really that um, this is not going to go away anytime soon, maybe ever. Um, and the, the U.S. and other governments will continue to look for tools that are effective. And as we either create new ones or use existing ones but apply them to this situation, it'll be important for us to really understand not only at the policy level but at the technical implementation level what the result will be and what the impact will be.
Oh, I no, to- totally agree with that. And as we've always said, sanctions is not as simple as it seems. It, you know, some have characterized it as sort of an administrative requirement that if you mess something up, there's a penalty. But it's a lot more nuanced than that. Some of it is the tools, the technology that you use, the ever-changing um, additions, hardly any deletions, but additions of sanctions. And then there's a long debate and uh, – the professor does cover that early on in her piece, saying that there's some question about the value proposition of sanctions. She's not saying that there there is none. She's saying that's still to be determined. So, uh, in, specifically regarding Russia and Russia's attack on Ukraine, right? So, yeah. sanctions as a in the U.S. as a tool of foreign policy, in one form or another, have actually been around since um, the Civil War, right? And so. Um, Different administrations have used them differently for different circumstances. Some stand for a long time or are meaningful for a long time. I think a good example of that is the Cuban sanctions, which have been in place now for many, many years. Some, the even if the program isn't um, turned off, the, the focus of it fades away a little bit. And so its impact lessens because, uh, because circumstances change. So take a look at that. Uh, I think, as we always say, you should be subscribing to the Treasury Department's uh, uh, plethora of press releases. Obviously, we focus on AML sanctions, the CTF, but obviously they are in the thick of things regarding the economy. So if that's of interest to you, a lot of good information there with Treasury. Obviously, OFAC issues things virtually every day as well. Um, And I'm sure the OFAC Experts listening to this already know all of this, but those of you that uh, work adjacent to that space, just to be on top of things and understand what's out there probably makes a, makes a lot of sense. Um, coming up uh, for August on the uh, August 25th, 25th uh, will be a webinar that we're putting together. We're, we're excited about this as we are, um, all our webinars, of course, but this one is going to focus on the concept of Uh, some of the laws and regulations designed to increase transparency and where they sit based on a practitioner, Jonathan Lopez, former DOJ lawyer who's now in private practice, and Gary Kalman, who's with Transparency International, an advocacy group. And I'm going to talk to both of them, both about the practical issues uh, with uh, the push for transparency, whether it's shell companies, more reporting and all that, and Jonathan's uh, take on, as he represents clients, what are some of the regulatory and compliance challenges? So we're going to give you some excellent, we hope, uh, practical advice that day, August 25th. Um, you can register on our website. Uh, and um, we've got some more things coming up in the next few weeks. I hope to be doing an interview with uh, Steph Casella, who is probably the preeminent expert on asset forfeiture. We're hoping to do that third week of uh, August. It's when we'll record it. Obviously, we'll try to get it up and posted maybe early September. Uh, that's another area, sort of like sanctions, which is not off to the corner, but asset forfeiture is something that people talk about, but I don't really understand how it's practiced, the value and all of that. So um, we talked to Steph a few years ago, and there's been a lot that's happened in the past couple of years. So we're gonna, he's going to update us on what's going on, not just in the U.S., but globally. Great, John. Uh, so next week we won't be together, but we will. Uh, we'll be back. You'll be able to hear us again uh, a week from f- this Friday, and ideally every Friday.
So uh, look forward to talking with you and actually spending, uh, having dinner with you, which I haven't been able to do in a long time. Take care, and you'll be on vacation next week, although we will we'll still talk. So yeah. enjoy your vacation. Thank you very much.